I'm going to take you on a trip this morning. Because the United States of America is at a crossroads. And what determines the outcome and destiny of the United States of America is directly in the hands of the body of Christ. You and I are part of the body of Christ. So we have a part to play in the destiny of the United States of America. God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God has a truth. I'm going to take you down through Shake Rag Road by Booger Bottom, and I'll bring you on down to Three Old Hill. Y'all know where Three Old Hill is, don't you? You know, you go down through there and turn and go over here, and, and you, y'all know where that is? And, and then on Three Old Hill, that's where you put your car in neutral, and it's going up a hill, it goes up a hill by itself automatically. Anybody ever heard of Three Old Hill? There's a Three Old Hill, Georgia. Then we're going to go around down through there on around the swamps. And uh, all of us together, maybe we can get there. We may have to get that DeLorean to do it, but we'll get there. Back to the future. <laughs> and we're going to wind up in Carnesville, Georgia. Because in Carnesville, Georgia, we can find the truth that will change the destiny of the United States of America. If we do not discover this truth, the United States of America answers it. The United States of America has no hope. I'm a faith man like your pastors. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke something or another. <laughs> Pastor asked me yesterday, you know, what you going to preach on tomorrow? I said, I don't know. Well, you can, though. I mean, different ministries operate different ways. And I used to know all the time. But Luke chapter 18, we'll start reading in verse number 1. We're talking about, two here at about the first, about the destiny of the United States of America is directly tied to the destiny of the church. What the church does right now will determine the outcome of this nation. It'll determine which way, because we're at a crossroads. If we do not wake up, and I'm, I'm not talking about the world, they're not going to wake up. If the church as a whole does not wake up, and I'm not saying it's you as an individual, but there's many church organizations out there that claim to be of Christ that really don't know the Holy Ghost like this church does. Don't, don't know the Holy Ghost, don't know the Spirit of God, don't know the leading of the Spirit. And they're actually in cultural trends of society instead of being led by the Holy Ghost. And there is a difference. The world has crept into the church, but the church has went out into the world. So cultural trends of society and fads of the world have now become part of the church, and it's hard to tell what's the church and what is the world. Because it's a mixture and that's the reason that we have the political mess that we have in our country. That's the reason that we have all these demons in our country causing all these riots and tumults and disturbances. These things are caused by the devil. People are involved in it, yes. 
people are used in different ways in it, but ultimately behind the cause and source of it is the devil himself. It's because the church has not, as a whole, not every person, not every church, but as a whole, the church of the United States has not done its job. And so now we're at a crossroads in the United States of America, and it'd be better to even put it this way. The church is at a crossroads. Now, we, we look, and there's all kinds of conspiracies, you know, that were given forth about the last election and about uh, fraud and, and different things and about how we got there. And, uh, and I'm not saying any of those things didn't happen. Now, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that. But really, it did not start in this last, last election. It didn't. It started in 1962. When Iverson versus the Board of Education. And Iverson versus the Board of Education. Now, listen. I've got 11th grade education. <laughs> Smile a while and give your face a rest. I'm for education. That's when they took Bible reading out of school. Shortly after that, I think it was 63, 64, they took Bible reading out of school. They made it unconstitutional to be able to have prayer, public prayer, in schools and read the Bible publicly in a school. This is when it really started. It really started then. And got on in, into the later 60s, and then that's when you had uh, the Roe versus Wade abortion issue arise. And those three issues uh, 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 alone have brought us to the point that we are at today. That was a catalyst for it all. You can go back and look up the exact dates on, on all this. But I say that to say this, too. In 1960, I was in the first grade. Y'all remember that? I went to Winton Elementary School. Do you know why they called it Winton Elementary? Because it was on Winton Road. You know, they get real creative in naming things, you know. <laughs> they got other roads they call causeways. It goes across the water. You know why they call it a causeway? Because they needed a way to get across there. <laughs> so it's very creative. So, 1960, I was in the first grade. It went in elementary. Every morning... The principal of the school. The principal of the school. I said the principal. Don't make me come down there. I said the principal. <laughs> you have to watch me. And in there, the pastor needed anything, brother. I said, I need a lot of help, brother. I tell you. <laughs> He's realized it now. But uh, the principal of the school used to come on first thing when the bell rang. Y'all remember the bell? Ring! It was one of them round bells that had a thing that beat on the side of it. It was loud. Y'all remember they went in all these electronic stuff they got today. First thing that would happen, the principal would key the mic on the PA system. It would crack, pop, screech. Y'all those days? If you don't, your granny and your mama and your daddy does probably. And then he would say, this is our Bible reading for today. And the principal would read scriptures from the Bible, usually a scripture or two, with elementary school. And as soon as he got through reading those scriptures, uh, he would turn it over to the teachers in the classrooms, and then the teachers would have us to bow our heads 
in the classroom. Yes, I'm telling you, in the classroom. The teacher would have us bow our heads, and she would lead us in a little prayer. And everybody would pray. She made sure all of us prayed. It was just a little prayer. But, I mean, it was a prayer. They were teaching us to pray. And then the teacher would go on after she led us in a prayer and pray over all of us, the students, the school, the safety. They don't do that anymore, and they don't have safety there anymore. And I'm not putting nobody down. I'm just telling you the truth. But that's what happened. But all that was beginning to be removed. Of course, in 1962, when I was in the Board of Education, when all that stuff took place, our school still went on with it for a time until it got to be in the Supreme Court, you know, and all that, and they're going to arrest everybody and put them in jail. I guess we should have all just went to jail back there and got it over with. We wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. Isn't that right? So that's what actually started us on the journey. Now, there's other things that you could go back and look and, and say there were marks our landmarks, our signposts that were showing that we were headed in a direction that we should not go as a nation, as well as the church. But at the same time, there, there were, that was some major events. When you take prayer out of school, Bible out of schools, and then you start making murder of children, little babies, legal. There's something wrong, desperately wrong. And so that leads to the point today that we're almost a lawless nation. Even the people that makes the laws as a whole, not every one of them. We've got a lot of wonderful law enforcement officials, and I thank God for them. Many of them, there's law enforcement officials, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for law enforcement officials, but they could have killed me, but they didn't. And they would have had the right to do it because of the things that I've done. Thank you for your excitement. <laughs> Luke chapter 18 he spake a parable to them to this end. This is Jesus talking. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He spake a parable to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That word faint means to be weary. It means to be exhausted. It means to be weak. It means to give up. So he says here, He spake a parable to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. So what you can say from the words of Jesus here, that if you do not pray, that you are going to faint. If you do not pray, you're going to fail as a nation. If you do not pray, you're going to fail as a Christian. But if you do pray, you're going to be a conqueror, you're going to be an overcomer, because he said men should ought to always pray and not to faint, be weary, be exhausted, give up, and quit. Now, I say that to say this. Our nation, if you look at the circumstances and what's going on, all the riots and disturbances that's going on, the political upheaval that's going on, the morals and values that's in great decline, and I'm not preaching doom and gloom because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Listen, Lazarus, you taught me, I believe you taught me, taught me, I'm pretty sure, that Lazarus was in the grave for four days. Isn't that right? And Jesus said, roll away the stone. And they said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. God can take care of stinkers too. I'm here to tell you. Because he said, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man, a dead man, this body was in decay, come hopping out of that grave. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. 
The United States right now is kind of like Lazarus. But one word from God will bring us out of the cave and turn it around. It is not too late. It is not time to give up. It is not time to throw in the towel. It's time that we take the United States back on our knees just like we were singing in the song. On our knees, in our churches, our communities, take it for Jesus. Amen? Thank God. But Jesus had mentioned that always ought to pray and not to faint, not to come, become exhausted, not to be weary, not to give up. But let's look on at what he was saying here in a few of these verses. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, he said, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Jesus said, verse 6, Hear what the unjust judge saith. In other words, look what happened in her behalf, and she's dealing with an unjust judge. And he said, Shall not God, and of course advocating that God is a just judge, He's one that's for us and not against us, and he cares about us. And he said, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry into day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? He answers his own question. Verse 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. In other words, right away. He'll get and help you. Nevertheless, he goes on to say, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Will he find somebody trusted in him? Will he find somebody dependent on him? Who are we dependent on? We're dependent on God. And we thank God for, you know, laws and law enforcement. We thank God for governmental officials and all these kind of things. But my hope and faith is not in man, it is in God. Jesus said, shall I find faith on earth when I come? Can I find somebody still believing in me? Somebody still trusting in me? Somebody still believing that God is a miracle-working God? I'm telling you, God is a miracle-working God. So let's get in this DeLorean right here. We're going to get out here on Interstate 41. And we're going to take off somehow or another. We're going to split up, and we're going to try to bypass Chicago if we can. If we can. Y'all know how to do that. We're going to go down there, work our way down towards Nashville, Tennessee. Y'all know how to get to Nashville from here? Just knock her in neutral and let her roll. That's what you do. Just knock her in neutral. Because y'all up on the top of the earth, kind of, and it's going to be down there. Somebody said the earth is flat. Well, I've been flying up there, and I can see the circumference. I've been way up there. So anyway, knock her in neutral and let her roll. Get down to Nashville, Tennessee. When you get down there, you know what you're going to do. You're going to take that road that goes down to Chattanooga. Y'all know where Chattanooga, Tennessee is? Now, if we were to cut off and go through Murphy, we could go over to Shake Rag Road. Y'all know where Shake Rag is and go down through there? And then we could come to Hawassee. You ever been to Hawassee before? Hawassee, Georgia? Yeah, I could take you down there and take you to Highway 441, but I'm going to take you on down to Atlanta from Chattanooga, and then we're going to pick up Interstate 85. And we're going to go towards South Carolina. Y'all know how to go towards South Carolina on Interstate 85. And we're going to be rolling down through there. Why? Because that road is not just a highway. It is a racetrack. 
And if you don't believe it, just get out there at rush hour. I'm guaranteeing you. They are rolling. They got signs on the side of the road that says 655575. Well, we got 75 and 80. You know, we got, we're, we're, our, it, our speed limits in a lot of places in Oklahoma now is 80. Woohoo! All Pentecostal preachers like that. Y'all remember the story of Dad Hagen? Your pastor's Mike. Dad Hagen was riding with a, a law enforcement official, a state trooper one time. He was a pastor, you know. And he was just riding with him. He wanted to go out and ride with him and see how everything went, you know, out on the road. And all of a sudden, as they're going down through there, here come this car a-flying. Dad Hagen said it looked like that car's going 90 to 100 miles an hour. And that, uh, of course, state trooper turned his lights on, you know, and siren on and whipped that car around. And Brother Hagen said, you reckon who that is? He said, I can tell you who it is. He said, it's either a Pentecostal preacher or a lunatic. <laughs> See, we got Pastor Peg here. I mean, we got, <laughs> I'm joking. But anyway, that's what he said about him. So anyway, we're going to get on Interstate 85, and we're going to run up that road all the way to the last exit before you get to uh, Clemson, South Carolina. You ever heard of Clemson? I got a football team, you know. I've heard of Clemson. Anyway, right before you get down there to Clemson, you're going to still be in Georgia. You get off of that exit, and you're going to be in Livonia. Y'all know where Livonia is? Well, I tell you, if you've never been in Livonia, you can smell it. Why? Because there are a lot of chicken farms there. You ever been around chicken farms? So y'all, y'all familiar with it? Some of that stinks. The farmer that's got the chicken said, that smells like money to me. <laughs> so it's according to your perspective. So we're going to turn off and we're going to get off in Livonia. And we're going to go down to the square, you know, in Livonia. It's just a little old bitty place, you know. I think they do have a Dollar General now. And, and yeah, that's uptown, you know, when you get a Dollar General. And, and then uh, I think they had, they had a caution light now. I think they actually got a traffic signal. And we're going to turn right, and we're going to go down there for about a mile, mile and a half, and we're going to turn left. When you turn left, that's when you really better put your clothespin on your nose because there's a lot of chicken farms on this road. And there's also a sale barn there where they sell cows. So there's an aroma that comes from that, too. You know what I mean? Well, they auction them off and everything. Farmers bring their cows to sell them. You go on out across there, go down the ways, and you turn left. You come out on another highway, turn left, go up there on the right, and turn right. In there was a strip shopping center just out in the country. And the high school, Franklin County High School, was across the road. Y'all remember where Franklin County was? You know, it was kind of, they built it kind of up on a hill, you know? And it was a whole school, but all the, all the kids, you know, high school kids in Franklin County, because Franklin County is real small, went to that school. So they built a pretty good-sized school. And the, this little shopping center's across there. And in this shopping center, there wasn't nobody, because there ain't nobody to, you know, buy nothing. Because they got the little strip mall, they call it. And it wasn't very big, but it had lease spaces where you could put your business in there. And, and it was empty for just but a couple of things, you know, businesses or something. So this friend of mine had it in his heart to start a church. What's this got to do with prayer? What's this got to do with the United States of America? Just hang on. Chicken farms too? Just hang on. <laughs> Highways? Just hang on. So 
he, he went up there and he seen where this had been this health workout club. You know, they got these machines in there you work on and everything, you know. You know, like probably you got one of them machines in your house and it's, a, it's, it's one of them things you hang your clothes on. You know what I mean? <laughs> them kind of machines. They call them workout machines, but you get them because you are motivated for at least a day or two. Then you're talking about this does work. Let somebody else have it. And you just hang the sheets out on them, the towels and your clothes and everything, and it becomes a clothes rack. So that's basically what happened in this little place. It kind of shut down because people lost the motivation to get out there and work out, you know. So he went and approached these people about renting that place, you know, from them. And they said, well, we in a lease, but if you would just pay the payments that we're paying and uh, help us get this stuff out of here, you can have it. So he went and talked to the guy that actually owned the building and said, well, they're going to let me do it. He said, well, that'd be fine. So he went in there, and he started rearranging things, got in there, started working on it, and he got a handful of people. Y'all remember Mr. Hanley? Mr. Hanley, now, he had some big chicken farms. Well, Mr. Hanley was a man after God's own heart. He was, uh, was a country man, but he, he had such a warm heart. He wanted to help people, especially about the Lord, and he knew he liked Brother Hagin. He went to his meetings. He supported Brother Hagin. When he found out that this preacher friend of mine was a Raymer graduate that had come there to start this church in this little bitty place called Carnesville, Georgia. That's where the county seat is. Franklin County seat, Carnesville. It's got a courthouse. Not very big, but it's got one. It's got a couple of fuel stations, too, and a few houses. Carnesville, Georgia. So Mr. Hanley heard that he was going to do that. And he come over, met him, talked to him, and asked him, did he, could he use some help? He said, I'm not an expert carpenter, but I built a lot of chicken houses. And he said, uh, what do you want to do? And he couldn't believe it. He didn't want to accept any help because he thought, well, you know, I don't want this guy to do all this. He said, I want to do it. And he said, well, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say you. He said, but I ain't, I ain't got the money to even buy the material to do it. Because he had five kids and was living in a, in a house that was about to fall in and stuff. And he said, well, oh, that ain't no problem. He said, the Lord sent me here to help you. He said, I know you're just coming out of Bible school, and I know you ain't got nothing. He said, I'm going to help you. And I'll tell you this, Mr. Hanley's in heaven. But if it wasn't for Mr. Hanley, when you get there, and I'm not trying to send you today. So if you see Mr. Hanley, you tell him that Brother Randy's talking good about him down there. If it wasn't for him, that church would not be there today. I mean, when you hear the story, it's unreal. Population of this town that this uh, thing's in is 800. Eight, I think it was 880. Carnesville, Georgia. How much is Fond du Lac? 43,000. Big city. Big city, Fond du Lac, compared to 880. So Mr. Hanley come in there, and then, then he got his sons. He had two sons, strapping sons. You know, they had chicken farms, too. And they had money. I mean, they're hard workers. They work for us, you know. And they got a heart to help their daddy, you know, because their daddy was not old, but he was older, and they got a heart to help their daddy. And so and they found out that daddy wanted to help that pastor build a church and, and get it, you know, fixed up like an auditorium and all because it was just a workout room, and it had a bathrooms, but it didn't have enough, you know, to have a little church. And didn't have a Sunday school room for kids, classroom for children's services or nothing, you know. 
So they got in, actually basically financed it, and the church did raise a little money as they went because they started having services. And so they got to go in there in this little strip shopping center, and they were struggling every week, every week, just to make the payment. The pastor still living in a, a, an, an older home, you know, with five kids, and he, he, you know, he, he's working as a carpenter, too. He's, he was a good carpenter, you know, this pastor was. And he was working as a carpenter. For six years, he pastored, worked as a carpenter, tried to feed his family, and, uh, and uh, tried to take care of his home and everything. One day, he called me on the phone. Now we're getting down to the story. One day, this pastor friend of mine called me on the phone. I'd known him. And he said this to me. He said, Brother Randy? I said, what is it? He said, they lied to me at that Bible school we went to. He went to Raymond too. I said, they lied to you? I said, what did they lie to us about, brother? I said, Tell me about it. I'm ready to know about them scoundrels lying to us. If they lied to us, we want to make sure we hold them accountable. He said, they told me that if I would preach the word, the people would come. He said, they've stayed away by the thousands. <laughs> He said, the people ain't coming. I said, what else? He said, what they taught me at that Bible school is not working for me. He said, it don't work for me like it does Brother Hagin and Brother Copeland and Brother Savelle and Brother Caps and, and all those people. He said, I hear them tell all these stories. He said, every day it looks like I'm going under. He said, I quit every Sunday night. And repent and start back on Monday, you know? Because this, this thing ain't working. He said, but I called you as a witness today. He said, the reason it ain't working has either got to be God's fault or my fault. Well, I tried to assure him it wasn't God's fault. <laughs> but he wasn't so sure. He said, this is what I'm going to do today. On a Monday morning, he called me. He said, it's raining. He said, our job's outside, it's carpenter work. And he said, I called, the boss man said, we're not working today. He said, today, I'm going to put my head down, that's what he said, bend over, put his head down, this is a colloquial expression, and run at God till I hit him or die one. He said, either one will be a relief. Men should ought to always pray and not faint. Six years his church had not grown. I mean, just a handful of people. Not enough to even pay the bills. And there's nothing against having small churches. Don't get me wrong. Just according to where you're at and what's going on. But anyway, he said, nothing's happened. He said, I'm going to put my head down and run to God until I hit him or die one. So he went in that church and he started praying. He also started fasting. He decided, I'm skipping my meals today. And I'm not going to do nothing but pray. And he said, while he was praying, he started asking God, God, I need your help. Somewhere I'm missing it. These things that's in the Bible don't work for me. These truths that's in the Bible are not coming to pass in my church, in my people's life, my little handful, four, five, eight, ten people. <coughs> it's, not, it's not working. He said, Lord, what do I do? He said, the Lord told him on that Monday, he said, pray 25 hours a week minimum in other tongues. That's all he said to him. Play 25 hours a week minimum 
in other tongues. Now, he prayed more than that. But what he was doing is, see, he was lost in this sense. He didn't have the mind of God. Right now, much of the church world doesn't have the mind of God. Right now, the United States does not have the mind of God. So what we need to do is stop, drop, and pray. So that's what he did. He called me back and told me how the Lord said for him to pray 25 hours a week minimum in other tongues. And he said, I'll tell you another thing. He said, I've called the boss man I work for and told him that I wouldn't come in back. Unless he absolutely had to have me, I'll, I'll give him my word that I'll work till he can get somebody. I said, he said, I'm not going back to work. I said, well, how are you going to pay your bills? He said, I'm just going to trust God. He said, I would rather die than live like I'm living. And I'm not going to put up with it no more. He said, I've got to have the mind of God. I've got to know the will of God, and I've got to get it working in my life. So he started praying. I said, well, brother, I'm going to come help you. And I had some time. So I took me a week and a half, and I went up there. And I walked that floor. I witnessed not the whole time he prayed, I mean the whole session, because he'd done it a lot longer than when I was there, that he would walk that floor of that church praying in other tongues. Praying in English as he knew how, but that wasn't much. Praying in other tongues. And while he started praying in other tongues, over a period of about three months, God began to show him areas that needed to be changed. Things that he needed to do. Directions that he needed to take. He's trying to pray for everybody else and God start working on him. You know, a lot of times that's the way it is. You praying for somebody else, praying for something else, and then God begin to talk to you. So God showed him. He said, you've got to take control of this church. He said, you're letting everybody else run the church but you. He said, because you don't want the responsibility of it. And that doesn't mean that you don't have people to help you. It doesn't mean that you don't have people to assist you. It doesn't mean that you don't have people in appointed positions and you give them authority to do things. He said, but if you don't take authority over this, it's not going to be my church through you. It's going to be people doing what to do, pandemonium, like it has been, and it had been. It always created a problem. There was no structure. There was no order. So that day, the person that had the checkbook for the church, he walked over to them and said, God told me to take it over. And of course, they said, well, we've been waiting for you to come get it. Not in the sense that he wanted to run everything, but he didn't even know how much money they got in the bank. You know, or nothing like that. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with all that. You've got to have people to help you and people to run checkbooks and all that. But anyway, he didn't have no authority. So he started doing that and kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, kept seeking God. And then in the process of this happening, his uh, wife was attacked with a disease called diarticulosis or something. It's a real, it's a disease It very, very rare. Few people ever get it in, in the world even, and much less the United States. And nobody ever recovers from it. And he's got five kids. He lost his house because he couldn't make his house payment anymore because of the, uh, uh, he didn't have a job. And the church couldn't support him. And he still said, I'm going to seek God. So I remember the day come that he was going to have to move. And I knew he didn't have any help because they were getting him out. And Mr. Hanley, remember the one that was talking about that had the chicken farm? He had an old house out on his place. 
And he said, you can move in there. I mean, it was cleaned up, but it was an old house. I call it the chicken house, you know. And I helped that pastor, me and my little son did, and my wife, and he had uh, some boys, three boys. This pastor did, they were smaller boys. But we moved all his furniture from one house. It was a lot nicer than one he was moved to, and we called it the chicken house and moved him in there. All during this time, it looked like it was working in reverse. But he just stayed with it, just stayed with it, just stayed with it, just stayed with it. I would go periodically and pray with him again, you know, stayed with it. Things started turning around. I said, things started turning around. Money started coming. People started coming. And then the next thing, you know what happened? They bought the little strip shopping center complex. They bought it. They was broke. So broke they couldn't pay attention when he first started. Had to move into a chicken house. He was able to buy him a new home and a new car where he could get around the county. He would do all that during this process. And then I remember the greatest shock that I had and the greatest results I'd ever seen of somebody praying and seeking God for a period of a couple of years, two and a half years maybe, maybe three. He said, Brother Randy, I want you to come. He said, you're going to be shocked. I said, I'll come. You know I'll come. So on Sunday morning, I walked in to the church. And of course, I walked out from the back just like in this door here, walked into the <coughs> auditorium. Walked up on the platform with the pastor because he was sitting on the platform by this time. They had totally renovated this place. And when I turned to look, after I put my Bible down in the chair, I turned to look out at the audience, and I could not believe what I was seeing. There was more people than I could count, which yet had never happened in that church. So I turned to him, and he looked at me. He's like, what's wrong with you? I said, you better get some smelling sauce. I think I'm fixing to faint here. I said, how many people are out there? He said, there's 660 people. I said, I said did what? I said, where'd they come from? He said, God brought them. The population of the town was 880. But there was a group of people that come in with him and started praying, started seeking God. Mr. Hanley, he was a prayer warrior. His sons, their wives, they started praying. And they built that church on prayer. Now, since then, they've torn down the uh, other facilities that they started in, and they have built a new church. And they're getting ready to build a church on the building, on top of the hill. Y'all know where the hill's at up there? They're going to build a church on the hill. Now, I say that to say this. Until he got the mind of God about the situation, things didn't change. Everything was going downhill. Everything was going wrong. In the United States of America, it's the same way. Things may be going downhill, but that don't mean we have to let them keep going. We can turn this thing around in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can see great change in our nation. We can see change in the political arena, in the financial arena, because our nation's deep in debt. What, 28, 33 and something in debt. 
and it seems like there's no way out, but there's always out a way out with God if we pray, if we seek God. And that's the kind of people we are. So we're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're going to believe God, and we're going to receive from God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Father, in the name of Jesus. I know you were blessed by this message. If you would like to receive more information about Randall Greer Ministries, or if you'd like to receive our free newsletter, just let us know. We'd be happy to send it to you. Just write us at Randall Greer Ministries, P.O. Box 2227, Owasso, Oklahoma 74055. Or you can contact us at our website, www.rgm.me. And remember, God is always with us.